0: Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. And we just want to say, first of all, a big thank you for the flood of
1: overwhelming supportive feedback that you sent us about our our recent talkback episode on Lisa to Kirst. And I did, uh, by the way, ladies, manually upload the video version of that podcast to our uh, YouTube channel for those of you who were asking about it. And uh, thanks for putting up with my uh procrastination. But, you know, Michelle, I don't think we've ever received that many positive comments about any of our uh, previous episodes.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, we typically get around uh, 20 or fewer comments total across yeah. all of our social media pages on an episode post. Uh, and at the time I started writing the script for today, it had only been uh, about 36 hours since we dropped the Talk Back episode and we already had substantially over a hundred comments across all of mm-hmm. our social media pages. And of all of those comments, I only counted two that were critical or complaining. So we appreciate that y'all like talk back and there will be more episodes coming in the future. (laughs)
1: Yes, there will, Michelle. Well, it's so important that we as Christian women exercise discernment so that we're not deceived by false teachers or false doctrine. And that's really the theme of our episode tonight. Some of the simple pop false doctrines that evangelical women are being
0: wooed by right now. Yeah, and they are some subtle little suckers. Here are four ways to avoid being deceived by those popular false doctrines. Would you get us kicked off on that first one, Amy? Absolutely. Our first way
1: to avoid being deceived is this don't confuse or conflate categories. Now, this one we hammer on a lot because it's so sneaky and pervasive these days. And today we want to illustrate this idea with a short video. Now, um, this is a reporter from the program Fox and Friends interviewing a student named Kirsten, who was in attendance at the uh, recent so-called revival at Asbury University. And I apologize for the sound quality of this clip. So listen carefully, though. You're going to be able to hear what this student says when the reporter asks her, hey, what have you seen? What have you seen? So much. Um, We have seen limbs grow back. We have seen limbs grow back. What do you mean? We have seen people just go up to people, pray for them. Um, Even yesterday, I saw a girl take off her boot. She had a sprained ankle. A guy came back in line, prayed for her. She threw it off, started running and just weeping for what God had done for her. And she said it didn't hurt anymore. Just incredible. Uh, Try to forget for a moment what you think about Asbury's revival and whether or not any of those healings actually took place. But let's just focus on Kirsten's actual words. Michelle, did you
0: hear how she conflated a sprained ankle uh, being healed with a limb actually growing back? Yeah, that was really something. I mean, Amy, I don't know about you, but I've I've had a mild ankle sprain before, and I've known yeah. lots of people who have sprained their ankles, and none of us ever had to have our foot or our leg grow back for that sprain to be healed. Uh, now, I don't want to be too hard on Kirsten. She's you know she's a high school student. She's being interviewed on international television. You know, I know I would be nervous. Maybe she was nervous and and misspoke and didn't really mean what she said. But her words give us an excellent illustration of conflation. A sprained ankle being healed and an amputated leg miraculously growing back are not the same thing. They're not even in the same ballpark, you know, even though they may involve some of the same body parts. We talked about the same thing on our recent Talk Back episode, reviewing Lisa Turkhurst's podcast episode. She kept saying that uh, Scripture's prohibition against women pastoring and preaching to men and the gathering of the church body was, quote unquote, silencing women, as though that passage means that women can never speak or teach on Scripture or biblical topics to anyone at all. Well, that's absurd, of course. There there are many situations in which it's perfectly fine for women to teach or speak. You're listening to one right now. We are two women who are speaking and teaching on Scripture and biblical topics on a podcast.
1: That's right, Michelle. And you can also disciple other women at church. You can teach children at your church. You can teach the Bible to your own children at home. You can write a book or a blog. You can participate in theological conversations in a co-ed group of friends. You can share the gospel with any lost person that you want. In fact, we encourage that. The only things that you can't do are pastor Preach, instruct men in the scriptures, or hold authority over men in the gathered body of believers, the church. You know, God is so kind and gracious. He doesn't limit us any more than He has to for our own good, and He certainly doesn't silence women. This issue of conflation seems to be especially pervasive when it comes to the role of women in the church. And a while back, we released an entire episode on the way some evangelicals conflate sharing the gospel with the lost, with women preaching and pastoring in the church. So they'll say things like, you know, the first woman preachers were the women who ran from Jesus's tomb to tell the men. Uh, no, they weren't preaching. They were the eyewitnesses giving a report of what they'd just seen. They were proclaiming, not preaching. I know they both start with the letter P, but uh, two different words there. Uh, many of these same folks say that since all disciples of Jesus are called in the Great Commission to evangelize the lost or preach the gospel, and women are also disciples of Jesus, that women can preach or pastor in the church. And of of course, this is not biblical. We have to keep our biblical categories and distinctions straight, or we're going to be deceived into believing things that are untrue and unbiblical. So, ladies, just remember, proclaiming the gospel to a co-ed crowd is not the same thing as preaching scripture to that same co-ed crowd.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, Amy, sometimes when I try to explain that the prohibition against women teaching men has a particular context, the person that I'm talking to will accuse me of hypocrisy or hermeneutical gymnastics, you know, so that I can do what I want to do and teach women or speak on biblical topics on social media, while at the same time prohibiting other women from preaching and pastoring. Listen, drawing the lines of distinction where God draws the lines of distinction is not hypocrisy or hermeneutical gymnastics. It's understanding and handling God's word carefully and properly. Here's the illustration I like to use. If I say that all sexual activity outside of marriage is sinful, but I joyfully fulfill my marital duty to my husband, am I a hypocrite? Am I splitting hairs or doing hermeneutical gymnastics? Well, no, because there are right and wrong contexts for sexual activity, just like there are right and wrong contexts for women teaching the Bible, writing on biblical topics, and so on. The Bible has defined categories and contexts. The Bible draws lines of distinction, but conflating a biblical do with a biblical don't that's what's unbiblical. Makes sense to me, Michelle.
1: Well, here's our second way to avoid being deceived. Don't think you can chew up the meat and spit out the bones. Boy, this one kills me. In other words, don't fall for the unbiblical idea that it's okay to keep listening to and following false teachers as long as you just believe the Bible-y things they say and ignore the rest. Ladies, there is not a single word of Scripture that says that this is a biblical way to engage with false teachers. Scripture says exactly the opposite. It says that we are to have nothing to do with false teachers and that if we embrace them, we're actually taking part in their wicked works. Let's take a look at some of those Scriptures, starting with Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Now, ladies, notice that the people causing the divisions are the ones teaching falsely, not the ones raising concerns. Next is Second John 9-11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And then Second Corinthians 6.14-16a, through 16a. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, if we believe what Scripture says and we want to obey it,
0: there's no way we can just simply chew up the meat and spit out the bones. That's right, Amy. The, the meat and bones hermeneutic is a recipe for deception. I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're constantly sitting under a teacher who mishandles God's word, who mixes bones in with the meat, how are you ever going to learn how to distinguish meat from bones? If you don't understand your Bible properly because you're not being taught properly, how do you know what to chew up and what to spit out? Those false teachers aren't teaching you the difference between meat and bones. They're teaching you that everything they teach is meat. You won't find any bones in what they're they're teaching because you don't know what bones look like. Also, chew up the meat, spit out the bones. It's arrogant. I mean, you think you're the one who's going to come along and be impervious to deception unlike everyone else? It's called deception for a reason, You don't see it coming, and you don't know when you're being deceived. So instead of trying to parse out what's meat and what's bones, look, do the simple thing. Obey the Bible and flee from false teachers and everything about them, just like those passages Amy just read command us to. You don't know better than God. Neither do I. So it's best to just obey him. Yes. All righty. What's our third way to avoid being deceived, Amy? All right. This one is good. Uh, Don't be
1: deceived by sensuality. Over time, the word sensuality has taken on a sexual connotation, but the classic definition of this word is simply pleasing to the senses, your five senses of sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. You can even hear it in the word itself, sensuality, right? So that's the way we're using this word tonight. And we've touched on this in quite a few past episodes, too.
0: Yeah, that's right. I I remember when we were on Fighting for the Faith, uh, Chris Rose Rose podcast, and I beat him in Prophecy Bingo. I'll never forget that proud moment. It was a first. uh, Yeah, it was pretty exciting, too. And Chris, we are ready for a rematch anytime you're ready. Uh, But we watched a video of a woman who's a false teacher, and I remarked on how visually manipulative the set was. Everything in her backdrop was, you know, in pastel pink and white with soft lighting and a a sort of a slight soft blur to, you know, to the focus. Her hair and her makeup were just beautiful and natural. She was wearing something, I don't remember what it was, but it was sort of in a pastel color that blended in with her surroundings surroundings, it was appealing to the sense of sight. And it just subliminally beat you over the head with the message, hey, what you're seeing is good and pure and innocent and lovely. And then, Amy, we also talked about the deceptiveness of sensuality in our recent episode on Lisa curse. Let's listen to that clip. Something else. Sure. Here. I, I, I kind of discovered this when I was listening to these clips to pick out some clips for us to respond to. I noticed that if I watched the video and, and was trying to listen to her and watch her at the same time, I missed a lot more stuff than if I was just listening to it. And, and I've told people, I've told people this about, um, uh, when they're trying to discern if a certain song is doctrinally Hmm. sound or not, I always tell them just read the words. Don't listen to it with the music on because that is, it's, it's distracting to the pure, uh meat of what you're actually trying to get at. So you might want to try that, ladies. Try watching and listening and then just try listening to the video and see how much more you get because, you know, watching her and watching, you know, her talking to these other men, looking at the set, looking at her, you know, her beautiful hair and makeup. And she's a gorgeous woman and looking at how well she's dressed and everything You may not realize it, but that kind of stuff is drawing you in and it's distracting you from the content of what she's saying. Mm. I was so surprised at how it did that for me. So you might want to try that.
1: You know, so. Michelle, you bring up such a good point. Um, I, and I've done this before uh, with uh, preaching, uh, where if you have a, a preacher, maybe it's Word of Faith or the New Apostolic Reformation or, or any of those other movements, and you you watch a video on a sermon of somebody who you know is a, a false teacher, but if you're watching the video, they seem very kind and passionate, and sometimes right. there's soft music in the background. But if you can watch on YouTube and just click that little CC or uh, closed captioning and and just read the script without any of the motion, any of the uh, body language, the kind, facial expressions, the eyes, you know, so easily we can, you know, think, well, they seem nice. Uh, They seem very godly. And and maybe what they're saying is true. Whereas if you just read the words in the closed captioning, such a great tool that uh, technology gives us today.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Michelle,
1: and the auditory and visual sensuality of listening to music or a sermon or watching a video are nothing compared to the sensuality of actually being at and participating in the event. We've all gotten swept up in the emotionality of a concert, and we know that seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon doesn't even match the experience at all of actually being there and seeing it in person. Talking to your husband on the phone a thousand miles away just isn't the same as being together in the same room. And have you ever told a friend a story about a really moving or funny experience you had and your friend just doesn't seem to get it? What do we always say when that happens? Well, I guess you had to be there, right? So being there really does add sensuality to the experience.
0: Yeah, and Amy, it just recently dawned on me that this is why, and I'll bet you've had this happen too, when I warn against a false teacher, even though I've posted a video or some audio of her teaching falsely, I'll have so many women in particular who are upset with me, who will push back and say, but have you ever heard her speak in person or attended one of her conferences in person? If you go hear her in person... You'll change your mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And up until now, I've always thought, what is wrong with these women? I just posted a video of exactly what I would have seen and heard this teacher say if I had been there in person. Mm -hmm. Why is she saying I need to be there? But, you know, I'm starting to realize it's not the content of the teaching that they're focused on and responding to. They think that the sensuality of the experience will captivate me and win me over because that's exactly what happened to them. They've been wooed by their senses, maybe even more than by whatever content the teacher is teaching.
1: You are absolutely right, Michelle. And marketers know this, and that's how they advertise to us and get us to buy into things and concepts and ideas. We're seeing that in our culture today. We're seeing that quite a bit. And it's exactly nothing new under the sun. It's what happened to Eve when the serpent tempted her in the garden. Genesis 3, 6 says, "'So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate.' So Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes.' That's visual sensuality. And don't let it escape your notice that this was Satan's weapon of choice against a woman. Isn't that interesting? And we see this again in Second Timothy 3, 6-7. through Let me read this for you. It says, they, meaning false teachers, creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Weak women, you know, notice he doesn't say weak men, weak people, or weak Christians. God specifically says weak women are led astray by various passions. In other words, overwhelming feelings, emotions, and desires. And the sensuality of experience is the gateway to those feelings and desires. But we ladies can be especially vulnerable to sensuality.
0: You know, that's so true, Amy. When when we're evaluating a teacher, a song, a sermon, a Christian movie or TV show, uh, you know, to discover whether or not it's doctrinally sound, we've got to recognize our vulnerability to sensuality and make every effort to minimize that aspect of it and be as objective as we possibly can. Yes, Okay, our final way to avoid being deceived is don't misunderstand whoever is not against us is for us. Now, we see this a lot when a discerning Christian of a particular theological tribe sounds the alarm about a professing Christian of a different theological tribe. For example, the verse where Jesus says this, 9, Mark 9 40, was trotted out numerous times during the so-called Asbury Revival to discourage doctrinally sound, discerning, cessationist, theologically conservative, reformed Christians from pointing out the false teaching and unbiblical happenings that this event taking place among largely doctrinally unsound, undiscerning, continuationist, theologically liberal Arminian professing Christians. It was as if to say, you know, just because those people at Asbury aren't in your particular theological camp doesn't mean what's happening there isn't of God. They say they love Jesus too, so we're all on the same team. Whoever is not against us is for us, and they haven't said they're against us, so they must be for us. Hmm. But yeah, the, the people who were using that verse that way were ripping it violently out of context, misunderstanding it and misusing it. Yeah, they
1: sure were, Michelle. So let's put these passages back in context and take a look at them. So here we go with Mark 9, 38, 40. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. And then in Luke nine forty nine through 50 says virtually the same thing. So, we know that God's Word never contradicts itself, and Jesus never contradicted Himself or Scripture during His earthly ministry. So, we have to understand these passages in Mark 9 and Luke 9 within the context of the entirety of the New Testament. In this case, we first understand it in light of Matthew 12.30 and Luke 11.23, which both say this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. See how Jesus flip-flops it? First, he said, whoever is not against us is for us. Here, though, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. It may sound like he's saying exactly the same thing, but whoever is not with me is against me actually helps bring some clarity to Whoever is
0: not against us is for us. Right. And let's also take a a look at a couple of other passages that help put Mark 940 back into context. We're going to look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and Luke 6, 46. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this, And Luke 646 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And you'll notice that all of these verses that we've just read have been from the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the one speaking in all of these passages. And again, Jesus did not contradict himself during his earthly ministry. So how do all of these passages fit together? Well, we have to understand that there are a great many people out there who claim to be Christians and who, at first glance, look very much like Christians, but are not living in obedience to Christ and or are not teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Scripture, I know it sounds harsh, but Scripture does call those people liars and false teachers. So when Jesus says in those first two Mark and Luke passages that whoever is not against him is for him, he's defining for him as someone who's genuinely regenerated, obedient to Scripture, and teaching sound doctrine. Everybody else, regardless of what they might claim, is against him according to Scripture. Yeah, that's right. And if
1: you're one of those Matthew 7 people who is a false teacher calling Jesus Lord, Lord, and you're prophesying and casting out demons and doing mighty works in his name, but he doesn't know you, well, he calls you a worker of lawlessness, and he will cast you out on the day of judgment. And that is not somebody who's with Jesus. That's somebody who's against him. Even if that person claims to be doing these things in his name, if you call Jesus Lord, Lord, and don't do what He says, like we saw in Luke six forty six, you are not gathering people into the kingdom with Jesus. You're scattering them out and away from the kingdom, like we saw in Matthew twelve thirty.
0: That's right. I mean, you might think of it like this. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, we tried to stop those guys because they aren't part of our group, and Jesus said, don't, they're, you know, they're still with us. It would have been kind of similar to him saying, look, don't stop them. They're doctrinally sound Presbyterians. We're doctrinally sound Baptists. We preach the same gospel. We're on the same team. What he would not have been saying would have been something like, it's okay that they're Catholic or Mormon or Prosperity Gospel or New Apostolic Reformation or any other heretical religion that claims to worship Jesus, they say they love me, so don't stop them. Maybe some good will come out of this and a few people will get saved. Um, You know, every week during his pastoral prayer, my pastor leads us to pray for a sister church in the area. And in his prayer, he always says, Lord, we thank you that we are not the only expression of a Bible-believing, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, Spirit-filled church in this area. So whoever is not against us is for us is kind of like that. Bottom line, it doesn't matter how much a teacher, a church, or an organization may profess to love Jesus and try to convince everybody that they're doing great things in his name if what they're teaching and preaching isn't biblical and doctrinally sound, and if they're not walking in obedience to his word. If that's the case, they're not for him, they're against him. Make sure you have that straight biblically and don't be deceived by those who misunderstand that passage.
1: Amen. You know, there are a lot more ways you can avoid being deceived by popular false doctrines, and maybe we're going to explore some of those in a future episode. I think we should. But tonight, we're just going to go ahead and call it a night. But before we get out of here, we've got some thank you notes to a couple of our listeners that we want to pass along. Thank you so much to Aaron, who recently became a monthly donor on Patreon. You know, Aaron, we really appreciate you and all our donors who help us defray the podcast costs by, you know, giving faithfully every month on Patreon. And if you'd like to help us out like Aaron did uh, with a monthly gift through Patreon or a one-time or occasional gift through PayPal, head on over to our website, a life, and click on the support tab.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Erin, and all of our our donors on Patreon and PayPal. Thank you so much for your kind gifts. And we also want to say thank you to Maria in the USA for leaving us a five-star rating and an encouraging review on Apple Podcasts. And here's what she said, Spiritually wise and discerning. I've been listening to A Word Fitly Spoken for a while now and went back and listened to early episodes too, and I cannot begin to explain how thankful I am for women like Amy and Michelle. They dive deep into the Word of God and do not deviate from Scripture, even on the hard topics. I appreciate the direct and kind approach to the myriad of issues and topics they discuss. I'm left pondering and reading more of the Bible afterward and sometimes rebuked and then encouraged. If you're a woman looking for for sound biblical teaching, this podcast is one of the best. Thank you, Michelle and Amy. Well, thank you, Aww. Maria. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Maria. Yeah. You know, knowing that this podcast, Maria, has driven you to your Bible is the nicest compliment we could ever get. And we sure hope that all of our listeners are always pointed to Christ and pointed to his word from every episode that we release.
1: Yes. And always take whatever we say, of course, straight to the word of God. Do that comparative work. And until next time, avoid being deceived and walk worthy.